Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Highly Functional. This is Brianne Showman, and I am joined today by OCR athlete and coach Josh March. Josh and I had a really good discussion today, not only about his journey as an OCR athlete, but more importantly, how he overcame a major injury to get back to racing and how he uses that experience in his coaching of his athletes. Whether you are an athlete, a clinician, or a coach, I think you'll find this information highly valuable. So let's tune in. Josh, thank you for joining me today. How are you? Hey, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. You are quite welcome. I'm super excited to get you on here. Um, you have quite a story. You've been on Ninja Warrior. You do competitive OCR racing. But you did not start that way, and you have not had an easy road in that path. And so that's why I really wanted to get you on here is to really share your story and um, just kind of help people understand that this isn't necessarily an easy path just because we see these elite athletes, these competitive athletes making it look easy doesn't mean it's been easy the whole time. Right. So um, just kind of share a little bit about your story with us, as much detail as you want. I know you have quite a long, extensive story. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I guess kind of just starting going back, you know, many years um, growing up, you know, as a kid, I was very active and participated um, in a lot of different activities. But uh, I like to joke with friends that um, I was on a lot of teams, but that I never played a lot of sports, um, meaning that I intentionally say, like, I didn't get playing time, um, which I laugh about now. wasn't the most fun back then, but it was because I really wasn't a natural athlete. Like I had this desire in my heart to be one, um, but it just didn't come naturally to me. And back then I didn't know how to grow into one either. Um, And I think ultimately, you know, over the years, that was something that kind of aided me and said, how can I change this? How can I, you know, train my body you know, how can I get to that level that these guys are at? Even if I've got to work twice as hard, I feel like it's possible. And I mean, I think that's part of what fueled my journey to ultimately go to school for exercise science, um, really delve into how the body moves, how it works, and then kind of see it happening in my own life, see it, you know, see the transition in myself and kind of, uh, you know, learn by doing um it's just it's the way that i learned but it just all started to make sense it started to click and you know i got more and more into it and you know uh kind of grew this passion for it and it started with working with other people with training just kind of working out to get you know body composition change that kind of thing and then it eventually led into um you know some other activities, sports, Ninja Warrior, OCR, that kind of thing. Very cool. So the big question, why OCR? How do you go that direction versus anything else? Yeah, um, it's kind of interesting. Uh, Part of it has to do, um, I I think, with my military background. Uh, One of the things that I really enjoyed from when I first enlisted, went through basic training, was the obstacle course that we did there. Um, I just thought it was so much fun. 
I realized I was pretty good at it. It was a lot easier for me than a lot of other people because um, I was kind of on the other side of my fitness journey by this point to where, you know, I was feeling good about it. Um, and I went, man, this is cool. I, I wish this was something that kind of existed outside of the military. I wish I could do it again kind of thing. Not all of basic training, just like the obstacle <laughs> course. Part. And that was right around the time that obstacle course racing was starting to take off. Um, you know, it was within a couple years then um, that I first started hearing about it. Um, I ran my first race, which was a warrior dash probably six years ago. Um, and right away went, you know, this is something that I could get into. I love it. I mean, just started just kind of running open heats just for fun. Um, and back then, I actually hated running. Um, it wasn't my, my strong suit, wasn't something that I ever saw myself getting into. Um, but after running several OCRs, I went, it, it doesn't feel like running. You know, it's all, it's so broken up that I can do this kind of running because I know every so often I'm stopping doing an obstacle. And then uh, it just, it felt like such a natural fit for me. And at first it was just fun. And then it became that challenge of my fitness. You know, how functionally fit am I? This is a way to test it. And then I went, this is so cool. I've got to share this with other people. So it kind of grew this passion in me Then I'm telling friends and then eventually clients like you guys got to check out OCR. Very cool. With your journey and your path, obviously you've done a lot of um, at the competitive level, mm -hmm. but I know you've also dealt with injuries in the process, uh, specifically your shoulder. And I'd really like you to talk about that whole journey. Yeah. Um, so I actually found out that I had a torn rotator cuff just before I competed on American Ninja Warrior. Um, and I kind of kept that to myself. Uh, to, to run the course, uh, decided I was going to have the surgery later that year. So I actually ran the course and then ran the remainder, almost the remainder of my OCR season that year um, before I eventually decided to do it. Um, but uh, that, I mean, just the fact that I waited, I think, is one of those those hard things at that competitive level, I finally felt like I got to where I had wanted to all these years and then was faced with this major surgery uh, to where I knew I was going to be out of competition for six months to a year. And even then, was I going to get it back? Was I going to be able to get back to where I was after missing all that time off? Was I, you know, was I going to have to start all over and then just both the physical side, but the mental side of thinking about, I, I worked so hard to get here all these years and I'm going to slide all the way back. And then uh, it was just, it was challenging to, to think about it. And part of the reason that I put it off was because I, I couldn't quite wrap my head around how I was going to do that. What was that process like of coming back? Um, especially when we have these injuries that we don't really know why they happened. Um, it can be scary yeah. to come back and really get back, especially into those hanging obstacles. So what was that mindset and that process like? Yeah, it was. So after kind of the initial shock and acceptance of like, okay, I need to do this. Like 
I can't even put deodorant on without pain. Um, <laughs> you know, it was probably about time. Uh, you know, I got, I literally got to the point where I'm like, I don't have a choice now. Like I know it's going to be rough, but, uh, it was really hard. I, it was actually the first few weeks where I wasn't really doing much with it as far as recovery, you know, wasn't the worst. It was when I first got into physical therapy and realized just how little range of motion I had, how much pain was involved just with passively stretching, you know, through 10% of the range of motion. Um, it, it was an eye opener. It was, it was worse than I thought, like in the way, like the pain and the, the stiffness and the limited range of motion. Um, I think I was expecting myself like, Oh, you're an athlete. You'll snap right back. You'll be right back to it. And I, I was really kind of shocked at first. And then those first few weeks, even months are so slow moving that it kind of seemed like forever. And there were a lot of questions in my mind going, am I ever going to be back? Like, I just don't see it from, you know, from here, how I'm ever going to do this. And even as I began to progress, get some strength back, some motion back, um, there was a huge fear um, because I didn't want to undo everything that was done and not only go back to square one, but potentially even further back, you know, injuring it once it's already been repaired um, was a big, was a big fear that I had. How did you, I guess, how did you get past that as far as like first time you were about to jump up on a bar just to see if you could dead hang, what was going through your head or what did your therapist tell you to kind of help you with that whole process? Yeah. So I think both, it was funny, both the therapist and the doctor um, knew my mindset well, and they, they both made me promise not to challenge what they were telling me. <laughs> um, so they said, you know, it's going to take this long. Do not try to prove us wrong. Listen to us and you'll be safe. And by the time we tell you it is safe to do it, it will be. Um, so when I, I guess the first time I went to hang on it, um, I was definitely very, very nervous, but excited at the same time because I wanted to see how I could do it. And the first hang, it, it was painful, tight, painful, um, wasn't too bad um, and was very exciting, which kind of then led me to want to push it a little bit more, you know, kind of like, okay, I want to see what I can do. And there were definitely in those first few weeks where I was kind of released to do things again, there were a couple times where I, I pushed it to the limit to where I I wasn't sure like, oh, was that too much? You know, and there were definitely some nervous nights where, you know, I'd call the doctor or call the therapist, like I did this, I'm not sure if I undid it. And they're like, relax, you didn't undo anything. Like you can't undo it at this point. Um, but kind of encouraging me to still go step by step back in that recovery. Um, but it was, it was a couple months past being allowed, released to get back into some of that training till I actually had the, uh, I guess, faith in the shoulder, um, the confidence to go out and do things to completely dead hang. Um, things like rigs, for example, were one of the big holdups. Um, I found myself doing a lot of rings at 90 degree lockouts and things like that to protect the shoulder versus just trusting it, lowering down into that full swing. Um, and once I finally got more comfortable and broke down and, and trusted it, it actually helped it 
<laughs> help to get back to feeling better quicker once I actually did it the right way. How long was that process, um, the entire process? So let's go from surgery to, I want two time frames here, surgery to when your body felt full strength and from when surgery to when you mentally felt full strength. Yeah. So from surgery till where I was pretty much released by the doctor and the therapist that said, you're not going to hurt anything, start training it again, was actually only a little over six months, which was a uh, a quick time frame compared to what they were thinking. Um, I would say it was closer to eight months until I actually really started training hard again, which was some physical, but a lot of mental. So it was probably another two month process after the physical process for me to trust my body again. And I think that's so important for people to hear. I mean, you are a highly competitive athlete. You're a coach you know, yep. like the whole process and what, what's entail, what it entails physically and mentally. And so for you to battle that for another two months of that mindset is, um, you know, it's just a good thing to let people understand that these fears exist, these battles in the mind exist, but yeah, it's just, it takes this process uh, or this time to really fully trust ourselves sometimes. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's, I think it's important to highlight that because it's very easy for people from the outside to look and say, okay, Josh did this, then he had surgery and he came right back and did this. And like, it was easy for him. And I mean, there, there were a lot of nights where I'm like, I'm done. I'm never going to do it again. Like I, I lost everything and, you know, and battled that uh, almost like a de depression going through it. Um, because it's something that I was so passionate about, but, um, it's a, it's a definite, uh, process the whole way around. And yeah, I agree with you. It's important for people to understand that. And I think that's one of the downfalls of social media is, but every, you know, we find the handful of people who do post about their struggles and their process of things, but most people it's <laughs> like, here I am today. And then all of a sudden they may disappear for a while. And then look like, look, I'm back racing again. And you don't really see that internal process and the struggles that happen through that. So, um, like I love social media, but at the same time, I hate it because like everyone just paints this like pretty picture and it's really not. <laughs> right. I agree. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yep. I'm curious. You waited to have your surgery. Like you can still competed injured. You knew it was injured. Do you feel, I want to go two directions with this. First off, do you feel you were set back in your rehab process at all by waiting? Okay. Um, in a way, well, there, the downfall, the downside to waiting um, was that I knew I risked doing more, more damage, more injury, um, because obviously when you injure one area, you're going to put more strain on another area to kind of make up for it, um, which is ultimately, I think, how I ended up tearing the long head of my biceps tendon then, um, yeah, and some other issues that I had in my shoulder. However, with something like that, the recovery for the biceps tendon is a much shorter process than the rotator cuff. So it was actually healed well before the rotator cuff co component was. Um, so that was that, and that's where that weird uh, athletic mindset uh, comes into to where I'd talk to the doctor ahead of time saying, what are the risks if I do wait? 
um, am I going to make it worse? And he said, potentially you do more damage. But I said, if, if I'm willing to go through that and the pain, um, you know, how much further is it going to set me back? And I'd say time-wise, recovery-wise, it didn't. It did end up causing more damage. Um, so it's definitely something to weigh out. Um, was it a smart decision to wait? Probably not. Um, but it, in the long run, I don't think it set the, the recovery back at all. Okay. Do you feel it impacted your racing at all that it slowed you down or limited things? Yes, because I was definitely getting to a point where I was protecting the shoulder. Um, so all of a sudden it started changing my form, my comfort. I felt very uncomfortable on some of the upper body obstacles, um, just really trying to protect it. Um, so, and then even on the training side, um, lifting, um, you know, carrying things like that, I was starting to, you know, see everything, the strength decrease kind of across the board to where it was a matter of time. Like it wasn't a, if I get to this point, it was when I get to this point, I'm going to have to do something. And I, I really tried to stretch it out through the end of my season. And I made it about a, a month short of the end of the season. Um, but yeah, it was, it definitely had an impact for sure. Mm -hmm. And knowing what I know now on the other side of the recovery, um, and the way that I came back from it, I probably would have done it sooner because now I know better and, it, you know, wished I hadn't, hadn't waited quite so long. Hindsight is always twenty twenty, but yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm really glad you mentioned that though, just because so many people do wait to have it. And I think like you're very aware of what your body does and how it moves, but a lot of people don't realize and don't notice the compensations that are going on and the changes that are, that are happening and um, how the performance overall is decreasing. So I love that, you know, you were aware of that and noticed it, um, went through it anyway, but just were, you know, just to have that awareness that it is there, that we do have um, negative impacts by continuing to train through injuries. Yep. With you as a coach, um, I know you do a lot with programming for your athletes in order to essentially, not that we can prevent everything, but help decrease our, their, their risk of injury. So these th same things aren't happening. Yeah. What do you do with your athletes in order to really keep them as safe and protected as we can? So kind of starting with a kind of preventative side of things, we do before every workout, we have them do a, um, a functional dynamic warm up. So everything that they're going to be doing in that workout, we have them do those movement patterns in preparation. So they'll do some squat movements, some hinge movements, crawling, carrying something to elevate their heart rate, something to loosen up the T spine, all those kind of things, uh, before we even get into it. And, uh, so whether it's here in the gym or out at the track or out on the trails, um, we have kind of set dynamic warmups for the clients and for our OCR team, so kind of like, here's something we want you to follow. We get them in the habit of doing it, that we teach it to them to where it becomes second nature. The second that they begin a workout, they start with it. They don't even think about doing it anymore. It's just habit that they do it. Um, 
The other thing that I do for our OCR team in particular, the, and the, the people that I personally coach through um, an OCR program that I think is a little bit different, that not everyone focuses on with wellness and self-care, is I actually program a day into their schedule every week for spiritual wellness, and it's a day off where they don't do any type of physical workout. Um, they can do some re recovery, but I actually have a mobility session built into their week elsewhere. And they take a day to focus on their spiritual side. And that's not necessarily a religious side, um, but everybody's got a spiritual pillar to their wellness. And I think taking the time to sit down, think about what's important to you, why you do the things that you do, what drives you, what motivates you, ultimately matters in taking care of yourself, your body, and everything else too. Um, so that's something that I think is a little bit different that I actually include in my thought of wellness and preventative care as well. I love that you incorporate that because, yeah, coaches are far and few between they, that specifically structure it in. Uh, yeah. It may get brought up in conversations, but to actually structure that into a training program is pretty phenomenal. Right. It's, uh, I did it because I know for me, um, looking back at even mobility sessions, I've always known my entire career that I should do mobility work. But if it's not written on my plan, it's really easy for me to skip over because it it's not, it's not fun. It's not exciting. You don't see the, the immediate direct um, results from it. And I realized pretty quickly that it was the same thing, you know, on that spiritual side, like people know like, yeah, okay. And they have somewhat of a grasp, but when it's programmed in there and they're looking and they're checking off the boxes, I did this, I did this, it's right there. And they've, they've got to do it. And we talk a little bit about what it means, what it can mean, what they can do during that time. But it's also just open to their interpretation of it too. But I think just having it there, I always laugh and compare it to, um, the movie Anchorman, where he reads anything that's on the teleprompter. That's how I mean, like that's my workouts. Like whatever is on my schedule, I'm gonna do. Like even if I hate it, if I don't want to do it, it's on the schedule. Like I'm gonna do it. So just like he reads whatever's there, and so that's kind of ultimately what brought me to programming it because I know I've watched some of the people that like I've gone, man, whatever I put in this program, these people are gonna do. And so I went, how can I use that to their advantage? And I thought that was kind of a, a cool, different way to do that. Yeah, that is really cool. And it's so true that my brother and I actually just had this conversation recently that it's very true that what a coach puts in a program, people are going to do and rarely question it. That can be a detriment to them, but <laughs> right, right. Um, you know, rarely question what's on there and yeah, we'll just kind of do it. So that's really cool. Yeah. <laughs> I know you also do movement screens as well with your athletes. Is that correct? Yes. Um, so whenever somebody new comes in, um, we kind of have our, we've adapted our own kind of screen, but almost like our warm up, um, we put them through a lot of basic movement patterns um, with very little instruction at first. I just like to see how they naturally move. So I give them basic instructions, how to set their feet and then say, Hey, I want to see you do a body weight squat. And I just have them do a few in front of me, kind of watch their hips, their knees, their heels, their ankles, you know, is anything caving? Um, do they shift weight to one side? Do the heels leave the ground? You know, do they push forward? Um, and, you know, we do a, a squat, a hinge. Um, we do 
essentially hand release push-ups. We have them start on the floor, um, core stability push-ups, and just does the core come up, you know, with the chest or is the core lagging behind? Um, we look at shoulder mobility. We have them do things, step-ups, um, just to see their mechanics, literally walking up and down steps um, and very, very basic movements. We do some balance tests and we're looking for any indicators of potential risk. Um, but then a lot of times people don't know that they have an imbalance, um, either in mobility and strength, um, or when they squat, they don't even realize that because they've been carrying little kids on their hip, you know, for the past five years, they shift their weight to the left hand side every time that they stand and squat and things like that, because it feels natural to them. Um, so we try to highlight those things and program corrective exercises so that we fix the movement patterns before we load something that's improper. Do you do this for both the personal training and the group classes or just more the personal training? The personal training side, the group side, um, the downside to that is we don't have as much time with them, as much dedicated time. We're not um, with them uh, all the time. Those people can kind of come and go. Um, they can pop in for classes, just pay for a single one-off kind of thing. Um, so we don't ever get into that. When we do run our group classes, the one thing we do differently than some places is our coaches coach the class instead of, um, if you've ever seen, and this, this isn't a knock, but like a, a Les Mills class, for example, I taught body pump years ago. You stand in front of the class and you do the exercises with the class, it makes it very hard to correct. Because if I'm doing the movement and you're following along and you're doing it wrong, I can't walk over to you and correct it. Um, so what we do with our classes is we do a demo of the moves that are gonna be in the class, then we have the participants do them, and then as they're doing the class, we're guiding it verbally, and then we go around and actually correct people on the spot with it. And obviously there's a, uh, you know, kind of an assessment, a triage that's done to like, okay, who's going to hurt themselves versus, you know, that's not the prettiest, but it's okay. You know, and we, we go around and, okay, I want you to stop. We need to do a different exercise or, you know, people will stop us and say, Hey, I can't do this kind of impact or this type of movement. And we'll give them a, a modification. And that's good that they're actually stopping too, because there's times that, you know, that people are just in most gyms at least, and probably yours too, that people just push through and just been like, well, this is what I'm supposed to do, so it's what I'm doing. Right. Yeah, exactly. And there's definitely some of that to where we have to say like, hey, just stop for a second. It's, it's not a bad thing. You know, let me just show you either a different way or, you know, show you how to do it a little bit better or something like that. Awesome. Looking forward into this year, uh, what's your race schedule look like? So it's all over the place um, in a good way. So I'm, I like doing as much variety as possible. So meaning I have bone frog, Spartan, Savage, um, a little bit of every brand and everything from uh, a beast to the 3K at the world championships um, coming up this fall. Um, so I've already got, I think counting all three days at um, OCR World Championships. I have 16 scheduled so far. Um, already qualified for the World Championships um, this past season. Actually qualified at NORAM, so that's that's like the best way to do it. You know, qualify <laughs> for the next year at, at the previous year's championships. Right. So um, that was 
kind of cool to go into this season pretty open. Um, so it's going to allow me to do some things I probably normally wouldn't. I'm going to check out the uh, stadium blitz that uh, Gronk is putting on. Um, I'm going to check out the one at Rutgers because uh, there's a couple races that weekend. And normally I'd probably look at one that's more of a qualifier and I've got some flexibility now. So I'm just going to kind of get out there, um, experiment, see what else is, is out there and how they're doing things. Um, Cause I, I love the variety in the sport. I know some people are purely, you know, one race brand or something like that. And I, I certainly have my favorites, but um, I, I like the variety. That's cool. I am. Um... I'm going to do the stadium blitz here locally as well. I didn't realize okay. you started that. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Josh, if someone has any questions for you or just wants to reach out to you, um, how can they find you? Um, they could go to our website, which is empowertrainingsystems.com. That's E-M-P-O-W-E-R trainingsystems.com. Um, or they could give us a call at 717-300-0543. Um, or they can look for me on social media, um, you know, Instagram, Facebook, they can find me personally. I do have a, an athlete page as well. Um, I go as coach Josh March, uh, OCR dad. Um, so I, I take that title. It used to be OCR athlete. And then, uh, in kind of my, my spiritual wellness day, I realized that being a dad was more important to me than being an athlete. And, uh, it's racing is kind of a family sport for me. So, um, yeah, that's some way they can find me too. I like it. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Um, have an awesome rest of your day. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. And that concludes this week's episode of highly functional. If you enjoyed it and found the information helpful, I invite you to head over to Facebook and join my group obstacle course, racing athlete, health and performance where you can both join your OCR tribe, as well as find very helpful, useful information on how to become a more dominant racer, a more resilient racer, and truly race at your peak performance. And until next time, let's go out and be highly functional.